Thanks for tuning in to the Bethany Sermon Podcast. We pray that this message helps you grow in your faith with Christ. If you'd like to find out more about what's going on at Bethany or GIF, you can visit us online at bethanysite.com or download our mobile app. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, and uh, we've been in this city series uh, of the book of Colossians, and we've been looking at um, uh, last week Christ in the Center, and this week uh, we're going to be looking at Christ in the Center part 2, Roadblocks to Grace, and the Apostle Paul is writing to these Christians in uh, Colossae, which is in modern day Turkey, and he is uh, writing to them um, about this uh, a heresy that's going on, this false teaching that is taking Christ and then adding things like Mosaic Law or adding, you know, mysticism. And uh, we're going to be looking at that. I'm going to be reading verses 16 through 23. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen and they're puffed up with idle notions of their unspiritual mind. And they've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with youth, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Um, as we looked at the, the Christ in the center, I have this, um, this graphic here where Christ is in the center of our lives, uh, the circle, the center of the church, and people are attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but then many times uh, churches start putting up roadblocks. And the Apostle Paul is talking about some of these roadblocks that uh, some of these people, these false teachers are starting to put on the Colossi Christians, most of them Gentiles. And so there's uh, uh, the three things that we're going to be talking about. The three roadblocks is legalism and then mysticism and asceticism. And uh, the first roadblock is legalism. In verse 16, therefore do not let anyone judge you. And one of the things that um, the Apostle Paul is, he doesn't want these new Christians, these new believers at this church plant to be judged by these um, Christians that are coming in and trying to add other stuff to it. And, and uh, many times um, judging uh, becomes uh, endemic into a church. It becomes a judgmental church and you have a judgmental attitude. And, and even the world, you know, makes fun of uh, Christians for their judging. And, and one of the things that we want to be as a grace church and not be known uh, for judging others. So as much as possible that we don't do judging. Um, one of the things uh, that I like, uh, uh, one of my favorite episodes of The Simpsons, you know, that's a very deeply theological uh, TV show. <laughs> In case you didn't know, one of my favorite ones is uh, Homer and 
has a um, Christian neighbor, and he's kind of uh, always bright and friendly, and, and his wife is getting into the station wagon with other um, uh, ladies, and they're getting ready to take off, and Marge Simpson, you know, kind of yells at her and says, where, where are you going? And she says, oh, we're going to women's retreat. She goes, well, what do you learn at women's retreat? She says, oh, we learn how to be judgmental. And... Um, <laughs> There's just something that even the world knows that Christians, the way that Jesus has called us to be is not to be judgmental, that that's the one thing we're not supposed to be. And this is what Paul says, don't, don't let people judge you. And then he begins to talk about that, that, that word for judge is to judge or to pass judgment, to criticize, to be critical, uh, to be a fault finder. And he wants us to be free. He writes to another church uh, in uh, Galatia, uh, the Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 and 13 says, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. And so that's one of the things that uh, is, is wonderful about a life with Christ is the liberty that we have and the freedom from legalism and rules and regulations. And he begins to list some of these rules and regulations that he wants them to be free from and not judged for. And he says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. And many times legalism is surrounded by the stuff that's outward. And many times there's uh, the, these, these, uh, were, these Christians were coming in, uh, the ones that were pushing the Mosaic Law, and they were saying you have to be like a Jew. Even though you're Gentile, you have to be like a Jew. You've got to get circumcised. You can't eat pork. You know, there was all these things that you weren't allowed to do. You've got to keep a kosher kitchen. And many times they have these regulations, and churches will have these regulations that they put on people. And, and I grew up in a legalistic church when I was a kid, super legalistic. And there was all these rules and things that you couldn't do. And I want you to know that Paul says, you know, if you come to Christ and you're a Gentile, you can continue being a Gentile Christian. You don't have to become a Jewish Christian. And so he says, don't worry about eating or drinking. And then um, it says in verse 16, don't let people judge you according to religious festival or celebration. And when we worship and how we worship, you know, is is not to be judged. You know, we worship on Sunday, and then there's other churches that worship on Saturday, and then we celebrate Christmas, you know, on the 25th, and there's other churches that say that's, you know, a, a pagan holiday, and Easter's a pagan holiday, and Halloween's a pagan holiday, and there's all kinds of things, and I want you to know that people uh, have gotten angry at me that we've done trunk or treat on Halloween, or they get upset that we have an egg hunt, and I want you to know that, you know, I just love this part of Colossians too because it frees me from that kind of judgmental attitude and it frees us from that and then it says um, and don't let them judge you towards a celebration of a sabbath day and there are denominations you know that worship on saturday and insist that god wants you to worship on saturday and if you don't you're breaking the ten commandments and every so often I'll have a Christian come to me who's followed the Lord for many years and all of a sudden the seventh day brother or sister has really started with the, you know, you've got to be worshiping on Saturday, you're breaking God's commandment, you're out of fellowship, and they really put them under a guilt trip. And so they come to me and we talk about that. And, and this is kind of what I say about that. Now, there are some denominations that they're even based, their name is based on that, Seventh-day Adventist, Seventh-day Baptist. You know, there's really the pressure to do that. 
And so when I talk to a Christian that's being under this struggle or I talk to a Seventh-day person, this is what I say to them. Uh, there's a, a verse in Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. I go to hear Colossians first, and then I go to Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. It says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. In God's creation week, when he created the world, on Saturday he rested from his work. And Sabbath is Saturday. That's what it means. But it also is the idea of rest. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. So entering the rest, the Sabbath rest, is entering into Christ. In Christ, we have Sabbath. And then I say something very arrogant. And I don't mean to come across arrogant, but it is very arrogant, especially if someone who's a Sabbath day worshiper. I said, I want you to know, according to Hebrews 4, every day is Sabbath for me. I celebrate Sabbath every day because I've entered into Christ and I've entered into his rest. Are you entering into his rest every day? Are you Sabbath worshiping? And that's just completely outside of their realm. Many times they haven't even thought of that. And I want you to know that we have the freedom to worship him Monday nights, Thursday nights, Saturday nights, Saturday, Sunday. There's this idea that when we enter into Christ, we move away from the regulations and the rules and we enter into a relationship that we are deep in Christ and Christ gives us his Holy Spirit and he lives inside of us. And there's this verse in verse 17, these are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. That the Sabbath that the Jews followed the Old Testament for years and years and years, that was all a, a shadow of the reality of the Messiah coming, of Jesus coming, and us entering in to this relationship Sabbath, this Sabbath of rest. And when you come to Jesus, you don't have to work anymore. You don't have to work to satisfy God. You don't have to do rules and regulations and make sure that you're following the rules to try to, to gain his pleasure. When you receive Christ, everything was forgiven and God takes pleasure in you because Jesus is in you. Amen? Second roadblock is uh, mysticism. Notice in verse 18, do not let anyone to, who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such is a person who always goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions of an unspiritual mind. Now this is uh, people that are having visions and revelations and mystic experiences. And one of the things that it produces is this idea that the ones that are going deeper and deeper and deeper into these revelations and all these dreams and mysticism and all the stuff that they're going through makes them better than you. They're deeper, they're more. And many times that's how cults start. You know, I, I'm giving away my age when I say, you know, I experienced a, a taste. I was very young, but I experienced a taste of the Jesus movement when I was in San Diego as a kid. And... There were so many cults that came out of that. And the evil one always wanted to counterfeit something good that's happening in the church. 
And so there was, you know, all these cults that started up. And many times it was this idea of having these prophecies and visions and, and crazy behavior and crazy thoughts. And, and the Apostle Paul is right when they say they get all puffed up in that. And then he follows this, verse 19, they've lost connection with the head. And Christ is the head of the body. And, and the Apostle Paul uses the body, you know, as his one of his favorite analogies of the church and that Christ is the head of the body and, and it's, he supports it and he holds together the ligaments and the sinews and he grows as God causes it to grow and he uses it in Ephesians 4 where he says instead speaking the truth in love we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ and from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work so every one of us who are in Christ is part of the body of Christ and each one of us has a place in that body and there's none that is more important than the other we don't say to one another you know uh, the elbow is not as good as the shoulder or the shoulder is not as good as my knee I want you to know that every single person you know young old middle-aged male female fit and grow and God causes the growth and you are as important as the next person we did some painting uh, this last couple days trying to get something painted we had some siding that we needed to paint and um, Elaine had to do some uh, other errands and so I was left to painting and, and uh, I, I did some painting and, and I started going up and down, up and down with this painting and painting siding and I had a roller and I was going up and down, up and down and I did something to a nerve in my elbow and I think it's like t tendonitis because I've had it in my wrist before and tendonitis, you just have these phantom kind of uh, shocking pains where you're arm all of a sudden goes totally numb you know and I I never knew that the inside of my elbow is important it just it doesn't seem important you know but when you have a nerve going off and so I, I googled you know uh, elbow stuff and all this stuff came up you know it was a horror picture I did not want to look at that I shut it down I don't want to know about that but I want you to know whether you're a toe or a finger or eye or a nose or an ear you know there isn't one that's greater than the other you know a pastor isn't greater than anybody else in the church there's this idea that God is the one in charge and he's put it together and each person belongs and each one has weight the third roadblock is asceticism. I can hardly say that word, but asceticism, uh, verse 20 says, since you've died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this word, why, as though you still belong to this world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Now, the definition of asceticism is severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons, austerity, self-denial, and abstinence. And verse 22 says, these rules, you know, are destined to go away, and they're not helpful at all for controlling the flesh, for controlling carnality. This is not helpful at all. And I grew up with the do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And I've got to admit to you that asceticism is important in certain careers and certain reasons. Like I'm struggling with diabetes. So 
I have to abstain from sugar, or I try to abstain from sugar because it's not good for me. But that doesn't get me tighter with Jesus, you know. Oh, Jesus goes, oh, George had a good day. He didn't have any sugar on Tuesday. Oh, George had a bad day on Wednesday, and he had sugar. Oh, I'm not happy with him. That isn't how God works. An alcoholic, you know, stops taking alcohol and have anything to do with it. It does abstinence because it's helpful for his health, but not for his spirituality necessarily. And then a drug addict, and we can think of um, um, forces, uh, warriors that we have in our country, uh, special forces like the Green Beret or uh, special rangers or the SEAL teams. They all have an asceticism that they go through and a discipline they go through so that they're fit and ready to defend. But that doesn't put them closer to God. Like, ooh, that's a really good SEAL team member. That doesn't make him a better Christian. In fact, you know, the Apostle Paul says they la- it lacks any value in restraining sensual indulgences, which is the flesh. And so I want you to know that asceticism is not the way to get closer to God, that Christ is the reality. And when we put these up, in front of people as they're trying to come to Christ, we put up roadblocks in front of them. Notice it says in verse 22, these rules, that's where we get the word dogma, they they are obligations, they make people submit, they are regulations, they're law, they're codes of conduct, and there is this idea that many people love it. In fact, there's churches that are really legalistic and have a lot of rules, and your pastor sides on the side of grace. I just love grace. I love it when people can come to Christ. And Jesus is a friend of sinners and that he loves people. And I struggle with all the rules. Maybe because I grew up in a legalistic church and you don't do this, you don't do that, and you don't do this, and you, you, don't, you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't chew, you don't go with girls that do. All those kind of things are just awful, awful roadblocks for people coming to Christ. They lack any value for that. It was interesting. After the service, I had some people come up to me and say, well, that was a good sermon. And another one came, oh, that was a good sermon. Oh, I needed to hear that. My wife came up to me, my wife Elaine, she said, you know, I don't want to burst your bubble, but I like rules. (laughs) So if you're a rule person, if you're a rule person, this, this message is bugging you. This message is really bugging you because you look around and you say, hey, there's traffic rules, there's codes of conduct, there's behavior rules. As we came in, there's social rules, the way we behave, even the way you park, you know. Uh, you know, you, you don't just all of a sudden say, oh, I'm free in Christ, and then you start running through red lights, you know. Oh, there was another terrible car accident on the Meridian. It must have been one of those Bethany Baptist people. You know, they're a grace church. They don't go by rules, you know. And so I want you to know that what we're talking about is not social rules or civility rules or, or uh, rules of law or, or rules of, of traffic or school rules or work rules. What we're talking about is this idea that these rules make your walk with Christ better or closer with Christ. It's not. It's grace. So... I've got this graphic I want to show you again. This is Christ in the center. And people are attracted to Jesus. Even worldly people. 
They hear about Jesus, they read the Gospels, they hear a story, they, they run into you know, a bona fide Christian in their office or their work, and they are attracted to Jesus Christ. And even when Jesus was here, men and women were attracted to him. They loved him. The religious leaders weren't because they liked the rules. The Pharisees added hundreds of rules. But Jesus, they love. And as a church, we do not want to be putting up roadblocks that keep people away. Legalism and asceticism and don't taste, don't touch, don't handle, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. We are the ones that need to knock these down and let Jesus attract people to himself and to have a grace church. Amen? So what I want for our church is that we are a grace church and that we probably do have roadblocks that I'm even blind to. But as much as possible, and we are a grace church and we don't put up these roadblocks. And then for you, what I want for you is to experience God's grace and to be free. To be free. I don't, I don't want you, if I see you, you know, out and about or I run into you, you know, you're, you're going, hide the beer, the pastor's here, you know. There's, there's something about the need, the need for grace, that we love people. And, and I, you know, I had a guy years ago, 30 years ago, come up to me and say, you know, in our family, we don't use the word stupid. Our kids are not allowed to use the word stupid. And you use stupid in your, in your sermons. And I said, well, you're right. I do use stupid. And um, it was a difficult conversation. <laughs> Your family rules are your family rules. I mean, I'm not going to try to change your family rules. There's not a prescribed one. When we were raising our kids, we taught them that one grandparents had different rules than the other grandparents. You know, every situation, we taught our kids that there's an outside voice and there's an inside voice. You know, there's, there's this ability to negotiate, you know, all the social rules and family rules and all that kind of stuff. And I basically told the guy, he says, you know, you're lucky that I'm using the word stupid because you don't know how many terrible names actually go through my head. <laughs> that didn't help. <laughs> but I want you to know that that's not what we're trying to change. What we're saying is it's Christ in the center, and we don't need to add any man-made rules and regulations to that. Amen? Hey, stand with me and let me pray with you. Let me, um, as you're standing, let me let you know that we have step two that's happening right afterwards. We have in the chapel step two, which is in our growth track, and we teach the four spiritual habits. And if you didn't sign up, that's okay. We have uh, a lunch that we can serve. We have child care for your kids. We'd love for you just to pop in. It's about an hour and a half. Uh, it's really worth it. It will jumpstart your spiritual life. And you can just stay and just go right over to that room. Let me pray for us. And also the other thing is if you haven't voted, make sure that you vote. Uh, and uh, there's a ballot box in the lobby. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for today. Thank you for um, the gift that we're allowed to love you and that you love us. You died on the cross for us to set us free. It was for freedom's sake that you freed us from sin and from death and from the evil one. And then all the piddly rules that we please you by loving you, Lord Jesus. We th thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.